This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So everyone knows I was screaming about all the people that say that Mitzvah that Tisho should be a Yantif. That just by saying Tisho should be a Yantif, that's not what's not going to do anything. You got to do something about it. Okay. Anyway, I talk a lot about technology. Anyone who's in the share, anyone who's listening. I make fun of smartphones. I say smart people have stupid phones. Stupid people have smartphones, right? So I want to read you something. It's not mine. From the Gaius Shevelt. Not from my world, but from the Gaius Shevelt. Sometimes people like, Rabbi says something like, yeah, he's prehistoric. What does he know? This is from the tech department of, I believe it's CNN. I have to wait till, till it happens. It says, "What's your, what's your personality? What your personality says about your smartphone addiction?" So even the Goya, right? We spoke about Shabbos and that the whole plan of the Satan was to make an addiction because only that way could he get Jewish people to Mechal Shabbos because normal Jewish people would not be Mechal Shabbos, right? So the only way he could do it is addiction. It's a disease. I'm, I'm sick. What do you want me to do? Hashem will forgive me, right? It's going to take a little bit of time, but you have to listen to this. It's mamish, exactly what I say all the time. This is coming from the Goyim, by James A. Roberts. Roberts, right? He wrote a book, I believe. How many times a day do you check your smartphone? What do you think, guys? How many times a day do you look at your smartphone? What? What do you think, hundreds? Okay, let's see what he says. According to a recent survey, the typical American checks... Once every six and a half minutes, or approximately 150 times every day. Other research has found the number to be as high as 300 times a day. You check your, 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 that's addiction. Imagine smoking 300 cigarettes a day. Right? For young people, the attachment is particularly acute. 53% of people between the ages of 15 and 30 reported that they would sooner give up their sense of taste than their smartphones. <laughs> this is a survey. It's not Robert Wallstein giving a shit, right? Okay. These data strongly suggest that many may indeed be addicted to their smartphones. Is, well, not, I didn't make that up. I've studied shopping addiction for 20 years and have a pretty good sense of when normal behaviors veer into unhealthy preoccupations. The fact that 80 to 90% of people use their phones while driving, which by one estimate causes six thousand deaths a year and nine billion in damages annually is a clear sign that something is amiss and as a college professor I've seen firsthand that overwhelming distraction caused by smartphones in the classroom but I also wondered are some people more likely to become addicted to their smartphones than others what do you think so I was wondering how come I don't have this addiction um, I don't. What? No. Why don't I? Why don't I want one? Why don't I want to have a smartphone? Right? Why some people have this phone and some people don't have this phone? Why people? Some people need to have this phone. They mamish hit it on the head. Listen carefully. There's a good body of research tying certain personality types to being prone to other addictions. Could a similar link exist for smartphone addiction? A staggering commitment. First, I wanted to delve a bit further into the extent of the smartphone's grip on our attention. So in 2014, I conducted research with several 
co-authors on the amount of time young people spent on their phones. We found that college students spend an average of eight hours and 48 minutes on their smartphone each day. Eight hours, nine hours. Wow. I figure that I still find mind-boggling. This number joins a host of other findings that speak to an intense attachment. Surveys have found that 79% of us reach for our phones within 15 minutes of waking. I think it's more than that, okay. 68% sleep with them. 67% check our smartphones even when they're not ringing or vibrating. Just, you just got to look at it. And 46% state that they can't live without their smartphones. This is not Rabbi Wallerstein. This is CNN. Uh, it's a fun game I like to play with my friends when I go out to eat. First person to touch their phone pays the bill. Nice. I like that's good. Yet there are still some who are less likely to become entrapped by the smartphone's many trappings. Who really use who really use them? or use them all together. They're at the other end of the spectrum from those who have lost control over their use, who exhibit some of the classic signs of addiction, salience, euphoria, tolerance, withdrawal symptoms, conflict, and relapse. That I identified when researching my book on the smartphone use, the book called Too Much of a Good Thing. To figure out what what might make someone susceptible to smartphone addiction, I recently conducted a survey with my colleagues, Chris Puller and Chris Miles, to find out if people with certain personality traits were more or less likely to become addicted to their smartphones. Using a sample of 346 average American college students, we investigated which of the seven personality traits might predict this disorder. We also measured how impulsive each student was a pacifier, and a status symbol. Our result allowed us to better understand the role certain traits play in the development of the smartphone addiction. First, we discovered that low attention span, right, when you're ADD, right, and highly impulsivity were related to smartphone addiction. If you have trouble concentrating on what's in front of you and staying on task, you're more likely to impulsively use your smartphone. These findings came when our attention spans what come when our attention spans are already shrinking. A 2015 study by Microsoft found that the average attention span of the average person is about. Let's see, guys, what do you think? The average attention span. seconds. (laughs) Shorter than the nine second attention span of the, I don't know, the common goldfish. (laughs) Shorter than the nine second attention span of a, we have less of an attention span than a common goldfish. And nearly four seconds shorter than our average attention span 15 years ago, which was 12 seconds. When it comes to personality traits, three three were found to influence your likelihood of being addicted to your cell phone. The first was emotional instability. Moody or temperamental people are more likely to be addicted to their smartphones than their more stable counterparts. It appears that these people may look for combination. This is so true. The combination of solace and distraction in their smartphones, right? Because you're not, you're not feeling good about yourself. You're very temperamental, so you, you don't want to be busy with yourself. How many shrooms do we speak about this? As with many substance addictions, compulsively checking notifications or scrolling through news feeds may be an attempt at mood repair, a high-tech pacifier, if you will. We found 
extroverted college students who often seek to be the life of the party and be connected. We talked about the guys who walk around with the wine and by the weddings and all that. To those around them, we're more likely to be addicted to their smartphones than introverted ones. So the extroverted, right? Because they want everyone to see it. Look what kind of phone I have. We found that a sense of being, a sense of being connected, the sense of being connected is the most important emotional drive behind smartphone use. What did we say many years ago, many shiurim ago, right? What did Yosef HaTzadik want to be? He wanted to be connected, right? The most important emotional drive is, I want to be connected to something. And that is the most important emotional drive behind smartphone use. Because the minute you go on your phone, you're, you're connected. So our introverted peers who do not share the need to connect might be less inclined to succumb to the smartphone. Lastly, materialistic students reported being more dependent on their smartphones. This may seem a little bit of an odd connection, but given the major role of smartphones now playing the lives of young adults, it's not surprising because young adults are constantly displaying and using their phones in public. The brand and features of their smartphone tells the world, it used to be cars, but now it's phones, tells the world a lot about who they are. In essence, their smartphones have become a way to flaunt the same way an expensive purse or watch might say something about someone's wealth. The mamash hit it on the head. And now he ends off with this. Perfect day to, I saw this today, to print this up. Our obsession with smartphones is a good example of what has been referred to as the paradox of technology. The modern smartphone can free us to do things in places only dreamed of 20 years ago, but they also in certain ways enslave us. Has smartphone use reaching, has far, has smartphone use reached a tipping point where it's crossed the line from beneficial tool to detrimental tool? I don't know. It's your call. Haha. End of. That's not written by Rabbi Wallstein and Musser and he made it up and he's prehistoric. He's a scientist that spent a lot of time doing this. It's an addiction. Different personalities, different reasons, but it's very straight that the Gaisha world looks at this as as an, addi- an addiction. Four seconds. What was the attention span? Eight, Eight seconds. Wow. So when you when you date somebody, right? What is that? The first impression is what? Eight seconds. Eight seconds. Nine seconds. I can't complain in my class when guys fall asleep after seven seconds, eight seconds, and I know why. Right. Huh? Bring goldfish. I should bring goldfish, right. That's much more. Teach goldfish, they did this. What? A little bit longer. A little bit longer. All right, anyway, that's the opening. And just uh, that we're really dealing with an addiction. And what we spoke about the last last couple of shirim is that that's, that's the challenge with Shabbos. The challenge with Shabbos is that, that these kids are addicted for all these different reasons. And it's very hard to turn your phone off for Shabbos. Shabbos is called an ice. Tillin's an ice, bris is an ice, Shabbos is an ice. An ice is a sign, right? So it's sort of like a married woman, right? Where the kala, where the kala, Shabbos the chasen. So you want to know if someone's married, what do you do? You look at their finger, if they have the wedding band and the right finger where it's supposed to be, right? You know they're married, right? If they're not, if they take off that ring, then you don't know that they're married. You think they're single. So the, the ice, the ring, the sign that you're a Jew, Shabbos. For someone who's not Shemesh Shabbos, you can't tell that they're Jewish. Because 
That is the ice. Tefillin is the ice, bris is the ice, and Shabbos is the ice. A woman doesn't have bris, a woman doesn't have tefillin, all she has is the ice of Shabbos. That's all she has. So it's called an ice. An ice is a sign. If, if you want to know what the store sells, right, or what, what they're doing in the store, it's a shoe store, it's a shoe store. There's no sign from the store, you don't know. We don't know what it is, you can't sell anything. Nobody knows what it is. Well, our sign, our sign of a Jew is Shem Shabbos. The Shabbos. That's why it's called an ice. All right. So we are now going to meet Hashem in the future. Every Tuesday night, we're going to learn a chapter in the Kabbalah Yashar. So that not only will we have stories and mices and zachen, we'll be finishing a text. There's a Kabbalah Yashar has 102 prokim. So if we do one or two prokim, Mitzvah Hashem, we'll be able to finish in a year, year and a half, two years, whatever. But we'll have something in our hands. So today I'm starting with Peri Gimel. Okay? We're going to start with Peri Gimel. There's certain prokim that are for Shaivavim. There's certain prokim that are for Yom Taivim. There's certain prokim for Rish Chaydash. But we're going to start in Gimel. Okay? Gimel has to do with relationships between people and davening. So he says the following. I know it's hard. You know, usually I speak to you and I'm telling you stories and you're looking at me. When I look at the safer, I lose your 8.7 seconds of attention. Well, you gotta try it. Next week, I will make copies of the, of the parak that we're gonna learn, right? Not next week, but the following. I'll make copies of what we're gonna learn so that you have it in front of you when I learn it. I'll make it easier for you to concentrate. David Amelech Pasach. David Amelech said in Tehillim Aleph. First, first line of Tehillim. Blessed is the man who doesn't go in the ways of the evil people. And he doesn't sit with joker, jokers. People don't take life serious. Two people are sitting and they're not learning. It's a group of people getting together and Moshev Leitzim. What do you call Leitzim? What do you call Leitzim? Like guys were making jokes all the time. They don't take anything serious. He says, I see this a lot. Guys chilling, drinking, you know, just, you know, just talking Lashon Hara, making jokes. Nothing serious. Be careful. When you're sitting with your friends, if you're hanging out together, if you're chilling together, you should be learning. Right? Stay away. You know, chilling is not the lack of doing something. The girls in my school that chill till 4 o'clock in the morning, they sit, stand at the corner, and they do nothing. It's a verb. It's not a lack of doing something. They do nothing. Chilling is doing nothing. We're going to stand on the corner, we're going to talk... Till the sun rises, even though, right? So it's not a lack of doing something. They're doing nothing, right? So this is what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, groups like that. Right? They're gonna stop. So when you're standing with your friends and you're not, you're not learning, right? You're not talking Torah. You're gonna talk Oshinara, right? And you're going to bring a lot of bad things to you. He says there's a group of malachim. They're called Ksilim. And when a person walks alone at night, you're not never supposed to walk alone at night. You're supposed to, look at, you're supposed to walk in a chabura. A person, a Jewish person, you're not supposed to walk alone at night, right? So he says that, he tells a story here, he says that 
sometimes the person gets lost and he sees a light and he thinks it's a hotel but really it's a mirage and you get lost more and you get lost more and you get lost more and you end up in places that are that are that are very, 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 very bad. And he says, these places are created, these malachim, these angels, we create the angels that hurt us. We take oneg, we turn those letters into, into nega. We create the mazikim that hurt us. He says, and by standing and, 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 and hanging out and just talking, you create all these, all these angels. But what do the angels do? They hang out and they chill as groups of angels, but they're bad angels. And they end up hurting you. You end up falling. Kabbalah says you end up falling into into their hands. He says, "Listen to this." People who talk in shul, the kedushin, a holy place. That's supposed to be full of the breath of of, of song and praises and 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 and, and tshuva. Right, but they end up talking. He says in the in Parshas Truma in the Zayar, Adaf Kuf Lamed Aleph, Man Dishtoi Beis Knishta, a person who speaks in Shul, Vailei, he's in trouble. Ve'ain Lo Chelik Be'elokei Yisrael. Wow, that's very hard. A person who speaks in Shul says the Zayar, Rav Shimon Ba'echoi, that you do not have a Chelik in God. The Garai Mehemenusa the Malka. Because you're damaging the Shina. Akan Lashainai. He said, I'm not even going to talk about it that much. Yachal Kol Echad, Rechad, Lidar Atzma. Everybody has to be very, very careful and create a fence around himself. Shaloi Ledabe Shum Dibachobe Menesaknesses. This doesn't mean talking to a friend. This doesn't mean doing davening. This means that you shouldn't talk nonsense in a shul. They didn't daven yet. They finished davening. You shouldn't stand in the back and talk to your friends about politics. You shouldn't bring divrei chol into a shul. You shouldn't have this sin. I know a man that was very mocked, but he never spoke in shul. And when they made a kiddush in shul, he would not eat in shul. You would never eat in shul. Even though today's Besaknesis and Besamegrish, it's the same thing. And there's a head to eat in shul by the Kiddush after Davani. He would not eat in shul. He would not talk in shul. If I wanted to ask him something, I had to, he had to go out. He went outside the shul to talk to me. It's quite a Besaknesis. So he says that. That's talking about politics in shul after Davani. Allah has come of a come the Zoya says, don't make jokes or talk rechilas bad things about people in the basic knesses. It is the home of the shechina. But the knesses about the midrashas ve'imbenei adam einasar miladabed divreslet v'kalos roish rechilas lashenar basic knesses. And if a person is not careful to stop himself from speaking jokes and rechilas in lashen hara in shul. Who gairim? He is causing shahashchina mistalekes mi Yisrael. You are causing the shchina to leave Yisrael. Vazekas of Azayar, and the Zayar says in Kabbalah that when it says in the pasuk by Nayach 
that the dove went out and it could not find a place to rest. Where it says that the, the, the dove did not have a place to rest, it's talking about the dove is the Shechina, is Hashem, and if he cannot rest in his shuls, he flies around like the dove flew around, and he doesn't have a place to rest. And who caused that? You caused it by talking in shul. You don't want that on your neshama. By day of an azeban, azeban, a rab nechru kam abatik says. He says many shuls were destroyed because of this. They say that during the Holocaust, the Middle East shuls were not destroyed because the svardim were extremely careful. With kvod haTorah and kvod betakneset and kvod harav, so they would not talk in shul. So because of that, the whole German army made a mistake, as you all know the famous story. They read the Western the the the, the telegraph wrong, and he really had only fifteen thousand soldiers, and they read it as a million five hundred thousand soldiers the English had. So he so he so Hitler Machshimo Ramo. Turned around, turned away, because he thought there was like the whole English army was there. Meanwhile, it was a teeny little unit, but he never went into, he never went into Israel. He turned around, there were Gedalim that said he wouldn't. He never went into Israel, and he never, um, and he didn't destroy all those shuls to to this day. Right? Because they were very careful not to talk. Yes. Mm -hmm. Scorns. But how do you, how do you, Explain that to people who don't know what that word means. Not a jester. Scorns is like like he's um. What's the word? He's nothing serious. He doesn't say anything serious. He's oh, sarcastic. Yes, exactly. Sarcasm. Everything sarcastic. Did you hear what he says here? I did. Because the people who talk all these things in shul, they're bringing a mixture of the devil, of the evil, into the machane, into the shchit, where the shchin is. Bringing in strangers into a holy place is no good. Anyone, anyone who's kadosh should be careful. That he should not bring in the bad into shul. So really, if you have to talk, you should walk out of shul. Even when it's not by davening. I know that's a big, that's like, wow. How about we don't talk by davening? But you, you see how strict he is about this. There is an angel from the dark side. And he stands next to you and he waits for you to say something not good. curses and curses and jokes and scorning and sarcastic. Wow, this is crazy. He waits. And instead of holy words, he waits till you daven. He waits till you say the Hebrew words. But now that you created that malach, he takes the kedusha. He takes the Hebrew words. And you don't get the schus of those Hebrew words. So your tefillah doesn't even go to Shemayim. You're wondering why tefillah goes to Shemayim because you created the angel that stole it. They take the holy words. They grab your holy words. 
and they strengthen themselves with the Kedusha from your words because he has a right to take it because you created him because you were talking about davening. to that person's world. Where does it come from? Talking a lot. If you talk a lot, sooner or later you're definitely going to talk Lashon You will give the strength to the Sitra Achra. I have to be so careful, I'm sure. Okay, ten years. A lot of Mahagol people share with you every year. Most of the years, Shagur is Lashon Hakodesh. We don't speak Lashon Hakodesh, but it would be better to speak Lashon Hakodesh. But a person should always be talking about, "Hey, I heard it about Torah. Hey, I heard something good. You know, always, always positive and and kedusha things." Jehu Lashon Tzachol Ma'el and Neshama. It's good for all. Good for your soul. If you want to know the source of a person. Listen to him talk. Someone who talks such an horror, someone who lies, someone who talks very mean, he says, I'll tell you where he comes from. If it's a person who curses or likes to talk about arguments, his soul is coming from the dark side. He comes from the snake. He's not from a holy place. Ki'im, remember we spoke about this from the, from, from Ephraim Vital? Ki'im me'erev rav. That person is not a Jew, really. His soul is from the Erev rav. Ba'at, listen to this. This is a little piece where I got it from also. Ba'at, you're gonna ask me, what are you talking about? His father's a Rebbe, his father's like a Gadol. How could a boy, right, because we also know someone who's Mahdi, someone who causes another Jew to sin, right? So Ephraim Vital says that is from the Erev rav. People make parties and they bring people to sin and rob him. That's Erev Rav. How can he be Erev Rav as far as Rosh Hashiva? How can you say he's not from Klai Yisrael? How can he say he's from Erev Rav as far as a Gadol? So listen to what he says there. It's very deep. He says the following. Even if this guy who's doing this has a mother and a father who are modest and Sadiqim. Like Rav Chaim Vital said, his neshama may erev rav. So even though his parents are tzaddikim, but the neshama that came down into this person is from the erev rav. A person who talks wasted words, nibble pear, he hurts the moon. I'm going to tell you tonight, we're going to do Kishnamana. Many people hold you should do Kishnamana after Tishabov. But other people say, grab it, grab the mitzvah while you can. So tonight happens to be a week from the, from the Moilid, right? So he says, he takes from the word Levana and he turns, he turns the letters into Nivala. From Nivala, from Levana to Nivala, Hasrashalom. He says, if I had ten chapters, I couldn't explain to you the amount of damage that you're doing. The person needs to know. A mouth 
Then it's careful not to curse, not to have nibble pet, not to talk Lashon Hara, and not to be busy with all these these wise guys. He I puma ikra puma kadisha. He comes from a holy place. Because God is praised through him. When a person who's busy talking Torah and davening and singing, Hashem takes those words. He makes a crown and he puts it on his head. If you daven with kavana, the year alone. I'm talking to all you guys. The year. And it's worth it. Livchar lo makam yuchad. To find yourself a special place. Hispalo bebeis haknesses eitzel shachem tov. To daven in shul next to a good neighbor. Kasha v'yasha. A person who is kosher v'yosha. V'yisrachik mishachem ra. In shul. What does it do with me? He's talking. What does it do with me? Right? No. Stay away from a bad neighbor. Shalayach shal oyste leilach bedrach of chas v'sham. That you... Shouldn't go in his ways. And if you can't move, you should move your seat. The guy who's talking in shul, or the guy who's on his phone in shul, get out of there. Right? Or what else if you can't? You can't move. Give him criticism day by day. Give him muster every day. Maybe at one point he'll get a little weak. And he'll be And then you'll get a schus. But let's say this guy just just doesn't stop talking. He just doesn't stop talking, right? And you realize that that no matter what you do, he's going to stay like this. Get out. You got to leave. You have to leave. Even if you have nowhere else to go, just you have to you have to leave the Oshul. You have to get out. That's what he says. Why? It says the Ma'ariyeish. Because where the Russia stands, and this person is considered Russia, he's talking by davening, he's talking about Shinhara. Sham is a sitra acha. Where the Russia stands, that's where the sitra acha, the the satan, he also stands. The the your your tzaddik. If you daven next to this guy. Your tefillah is not going to make it. There's going to be a kitrig on your tefillah. Which is a very, very big chiddush. You're a tzaddik. You're standing over here by the wall. You're davening. You have kavana. You don't talk about davening. You learn. Nothing ever bad comes out of your mouth. The guy next to you is on the phone. He's talking about shenari. He's a wise guy. Your tefillah will, will, will not go to Shemayim. The satan will take your tefillah. Why? Because you're standing next to him. So, so... What does that have to do in the world of spirituality? Physically, I'm standing next to him. It's mashma that, yeah, it has to do with who you're standing next to. So if he's, if he's air about, how can you So, this is something that I don't talk about very much publicly because you could really, you could really look at it the wrong way. But according to Rav Chaim Vital, in our generation, the assimilation in marriage... Right? So if a Jewish man marries a non-Jewish girl, his children are not Jewish anymore. So he's cut off. There's no more coming. There's nothing coming from him after that. He dies and it's finished. So Rechaim Vital says that in the times of, of, of Mashiach, there's going to be crazy amounts of assimilation. And that's how Hashem is going to get rid of the Erev Rav. 
So then why should we, why should we make Balchuvas? Why should we try to break it up? Why should we even do anything? So he says, not everyone who is assimilating and marrying Goyim is Erev Rav. So your job is to be Makarov. If it doesn't happen, that's Hashem's problem. But your job is to be Makarov. Your job is to get this. He may not be Erev Rav, but he might be a regular Jew who likes to talk. So maybe not and maybe yes, but your job is to do whatever you can. You know the famous story with me. It's a very famous story with me. It happened in Landhouse. I don't know if you guys were in my share yet. If you would have been there, oh wow, you'd have ripped this guy's head off right in front of everyone. So I, 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 I was just talking to some women about this. I, as a, as a, as a young person, had a temper. And, uh, yeah, like a crazy temper. Like in hockey, I had the most penalty minutes. I was pretty much in the box. I pretty much lived there, put a mezuzah on the door, cause I was, I was in that. You looked at me wrong, I swung at you. I was like, I had a crazy temper. And, and I'm a client, but that's not an excuse. And I, I didn't know, you know, I, I turned around, a guy once said something in the basement, I turned around, I broke his nose. Threw me out of Shiva. They let me come back later on. Today he's a friend of mine, right? His nose is a little off. He said something he shouldn't have said. I just turned around and popped him, which was wrong. You know, hit someone in the basement, I just tried. So I had that level of temper. You know, it made a mess. Which is avoid zara. It's not temper. It's avoid zara. You're not allowed to have such a temper. I had a rebbe, and he sat down with me. He he saw that I, I was a good guy, I was a nice guy, I'd help anybody, but I had a temper. And he said that once you have a midah, right, to hold it in, right, it, it's going to fester and it's going to blow up in a much worse way. It, it's like an energy. A midah is like an energy. And you need to shift the energy. You can't get rid of the energy. What? Right. Okay, well, I didn't, I was kid. This is before psychology. We're talking 45 years ago, right? You have to shift the energy. So, how do you shift the energy of anger? So he said, it's not even pity, there's a different English word for it. In other words, let's say someone insults you in public. So now you don't answer him back, so now, you have Ganeiden, and he's never going to get into Ganeiden, but I should early unless he has Glomhava, right? So instead of getting angry at him, he, he is so messed up. He just get, he just lost all his Ganeiden. No matter how much you're going to learn, how much Tyra is going to give millions of dollars to yeshivas, he ain't getting into Ganeiden. He was in Vayashkava, So instead of getting angry at him, you should take out a Tehillim and daven for him. That Hashem should let him into Ganadin that you Michael him. Empathy. Empathy. Right. Empathy. So, if your parent is, your mother is yelling and screaming at you and she's out of control, right? In your heart, you should be saying, look at my mom. She could have such a good life. We could be best friends. She had me as a child. She always wanted a child. Look what's going on over here. I'm going to go down and my mother should, Hashem should give her a little more patience and she should relax. You should feel good. Yeah, really. And it, it just, it flips the anger and you, you do something for that person. So if a guy insults you and he's out of control, you're looking at him and saying like, I'm in control. You're out of, this guy's out of control. He has anger. He has a, he's a Vodizara. He's got all that stuff that I used to have. I'm going to go find out his Hebrew name and say to him for him. So I'm in Landau's many years ago. Not that many years ago. And the upstairs minion, they used to dive upstairs, all the way upstairs. It must have been Rosh Chodesh for them. There's a man there, an older man that has numbers on his arm. He's diving, I don't know if you ever hear me, diving's loud, whatever. 
And he was in my minion. So it was me, him, and then a seat at the wall. Okay? So I, I know this man, right? He, he, he diamonds every word. There's no, no, he gets very nervous. He hears the phone go off or talking. He's like, he's like a yakka. Put my tune. This guy walks in, puts his towels down back. He's next. I'm here. The old man's here. And he's now over there. Puts his towels back down. He's got an, an iPhone or a phone. And he's talking on it in the middle. I mean, they started already. They said brachas in the middle of Kabbalah. He's talking on it. He's not talking like a conversation. This man turned so red. He was like going crazy. Like, like, what, what, like he doesn't even stand. Like, what, what are you thinking, right? What are you doing? So he turns to this guy and he goes, Shh, no, shh, no. This animal, right? Turn on the phone. Turns to the old man and goes, Shh, new to you. Shh, new. Diamond, what's it your business what I do? I'm standing there. I don't care what my Rebbe taught me. <laughs> the blood's running up the back of my neck, through my hands, through my feet. I looked at him. He was pretty muscular. I'm like, I'm thinking how I'm going to hit him. Really? You don't do this to that. He's a Holocaust survivor. You nuts. So I turned to him and he said, Excuse me. It's a shul. Take your phone with yourself. If you want to talk, get out. Okay, not not the reaction I wanted. I wanted to take the stick and he says, Really? He goes to the upstairs to the to the beamer, right? We're, we're waiting we're finishing um Karbanas for the Kaddish Rabbi Shmalaima, right? Bangs on the table. I'd just like to make an announcement. The great Rabbi Wallerstein, the rabbi of the women, has spoken. I was like, I was, that's it, I was done. Forget it. You crazy? You making fun of me? You're, are you crazy? I was, I was beyond myself. I don't think I was ever angrier in my life. I don't think that's why you're not allowed to carry a gun. For that reason. For that reason alone, you're not allowed to carry a gun. I was like, I didn't know what to do. And it took me a few seconds, and I looked at this guy. And I said, wow, look how sick he is. Like, he's got a wife and kids. He's not, he wasn't a teenager. I'm like, his children will never be accepted. He was just advised me totally Barabbin, the rabbi of the women. I mean, he really, he's totally advised Barabbin. He started out with a Holocaust survivor. I mean, his Ganadian is so shut down. Like, he's like, no way. He'll ever, his will ever be answered. He's finished. So I said to myself, look at his Tulum bag, write down his name, and dive in the Jiduchuva. This guy is. Has no shack of Tidish whatsoever. And I told the man next to me, I said, if I state this, he doesn't understand. If Vesish from Davin, he doesn't understand Davin, if Vesish from the Gansazah, if Kenzine has an ish frame, it could be he's not religious. I told him to calm him down. This guy, he, he was talking and then he turned off his phone and it was, I was just sitting there the whole davening. I was with Mike, I'm going to Davin for him and I wrote down his name and I was, ah, I was crazy. <laughs> Of course, he left right before Ashrei Voltzion. You know the joke, right? What's the Kaddish after Ashrei Voltzion? What's the Kaddish after? It's called Kaddish Shalem. Everybody's still in Shul. 
called Kadesh Sholem, right? What's the Kadesh after Ekelokeinu? Kadesh Terabona, the rabbis are still in Shul. <laughs> after Aleinu, the only ones that are left are the Yisayimim, right? You know, you heard that word? Kadesh Yasson, that's all that's left. Anyway, he walks out, he, goes, he leaves, right? And, and this man was like still pretty upset, whatever it is. I, I, I showed him the name. I said, it's given in the, you were in the Holocaust. And I've davened for that man. She has a choyla. You know, we have to pray for this man. He's sick. He's a sick man. I said, Lo mazonin sheyam alas mimamakim. He calmed down. And I let it go. Two weeks later, you can ask them in shul because this was a scene. Two weeks later, I'm in the in the regular main floor minyan by mincha. Okay, it was like they were testing me in shemayim by mincha. And there were a lot of guys that saw this. You can ask the guys in landhouse. And there's a kid, this was a kid, right, that was standing by the Arun HaKodesh, not in the corner, by the Arun HaKodesh in the front, right? And there was also an old man, a few old people standing in the front, there were Dari Mincha. And his phone rings. Instead of turning it off, he picks it up, right? And we're like in the middle of Chazor Sushat, Mincha. And he just starts talking. And also they said, shnuk, and he's like, why don't you just all shut up? I have a phone call. And you know, I stand, you know where I stand? I stand by the bima, right? He just continues talking. And like, people were just like beyond themselves. And the chazan stopped, and the chazan, and he's like, just doesn't care, whatever it is. I came from behind him, right? Uh, that time I didn't control myself. And he's on his phone, and before he knew it, I grabbed his phone, his iPhone, and flung it across the shore. He was in the middle of talking, like, I'm not getting off the phone. Like, you are getting off the phone. I just took the phone. He wasn't ready for it, so he didn't see me coming. I just ripped it out of his hand. Flew. I threw it all the way across the shore, all the way to the other side. This guy turned around, right? He figured, what are you going to do, right? And punched me right in the face. <laughs> Full force. I got kapara for what I did when I was younger, right? Full force for the whole shul. And he's like, yeah, come on, bring it on. To me, he goes, come on, bring it on. So I'm like, you want to bring it on? We'll bring it on. And they were holding him back, and the rest of the show was holding me back, right? And his phone was, went flying to the other side. And I, and he's like, come outside, let's go outside. He's like, right, right, whatever it is. I'm like, you're not worth it. Because if I hit you, I'm a Russia. The Jew lifts his hand to another Jew. No matter what, you're called a Russia. I'm like, I worked too hard to get rid of that name. I'm not going outside. I'm not swinging. I'm done. And everyone else, they were all trying to, you know how they are. Come on, Rabbi, get him, get him. <laughs> you know, instead of saying, instead of protecting me, they're like, get him. You know, he just punched you in the face. I'm like, I know. I'm like, I'm not. I, I work too hard for this. I'm not becoming a Russia. And that was it. Those were my two stories in, uh, in land. I was like, hey, be careful on that show. Like, stuff's going on, you know? <laughs> Whatever. We've had other things where guys rode bikes in at the late minion into shul. And you can't, you can't bring your bike into, brought the bike into shul. Not into the hall, into shul. And, and, and what's his name? The, the guy by there at night, the 12 o'clock guy was screaming at him. You can't bring your bicycle into shul. And this guy's like, my bicycle is very expensive. My bicycle stays in shul. I'm not leaving it out there. I said, excuse me, the guy I just told you, the no bikes in shul. And he's like, so what are you going to do about it? And the guy I got up, I don't know if you know what's his name, he got up, and he was ready to go at it. And I was like, 
It's a shul. Just leave the bike here. Forget it. I told the guy, was it just, just not worth it. So the first reaction is kill him. But you have to, you know, can't have kas. Kas is a boy desire. When you get that angry, you're not, you're not human anymore. You're not thinking like a human being. You lose it. So it took a very long time to work on it. It's very hard. It's very hard to shift that, that feeling of instead of being angry at someone, to dominate for him that he should get better. Wow, what a, what a, what a, what a, gro- what growth. I, I don't know, I don't want to be tested, because I, I, you know, I was very close to hitting that kid. Mamash came into my head the last second, if you, if you lift your, fi- your fist, even though you had a right to, because he hit you first, you're a Russia. You're a Russia. You can't be a Russia. He wants to be a Russia. So you suck it up, and that's it. A punch right in it, and bang, I didn't see it coming. I, all the years of fighting, I, I always thought I didn't see it coming. I what? You remember when he hit me? Disgrace. Whack! I got it back. Everything comes around. Okay, if that's my tikkun, I hit that guy in yeshiva in the base medrash. I got hit in the base medrash. The same play, same, not by the beamer, but the same idea. So if that was a kapora, makabal. I didn't break my nose at least. We all have to work on, especially in the nine days, we have to work on our midas. You know, I spoke about it last night in Boston. No, nobody could hurt you. Nobody could insult you. Nobody could punch you. Unless Hashem signs off on it. So even though that person's a Russia, and ain't like Hava, but you need to understand that there's a reason that it happened. Many times for you good. Somebody curses you or hits you and you don't answer back. You got the power to do miracles, to do nisim. Many stories, you know, people didn't have children, and then someone got embarrassed, and they ran over to him and said, give me a bracha. So sometimes it's not for the negative, sometimes it's, it's not much for the positive, but you see from the Kabayasha that if you, if you talk and shul and things like that, it's, it's a crazy lush, and it says you're not, what is the word here? That's heavy stuff. You don't have a chalik in God. Talking in shul, shul is his palace. And the disrespect that a person has in his palace is, 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 is considered by the Zayar and considered by the Kawayosha is, is such a damage that even if you're next to that person, it takes away your tefillah. Just physically being next, not talking to him, physically being next to him. Again, that's a person who you ask to stop, you ask to stop, and they didn't stop, right? Even physically being next to him, and, and, and you have to move. If you go to a shore where they talk, you gotta get out. I brought Hashem Davin and Shul, they don't talk. The rabbi lost all his money because he doesn't allow Misha Berachs. Because it's not fair to make Misha Berachs by, by, and Shabbos and expect people to sit in their chairs and not talk to each other. Some people make Misha Berachs with their whole family. The whole family has 206 people in it. <laughs> and you're sitting there, bro, but you say, yes, Yaakov, 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 Oh man, you're like, okay, no, now the women. Sarabas Rifka, Rifka Basara, right? And you're like, Biggest mistake is 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 uh, for sick people. It's a big mistake. They should not make it because when they make the mishaberach for sick people, everyone's talking. So you think it's going to help those sick people? The mishaberach. The sick people rather don't make me mishaberach and shut up. So even in my shul, right, Davin, and there's no mish. They don't give a mishaberach to the guy who gets called up. Not the second mishaberach for your whole family. They don't give a mishaberach to you. Nothing. Yamod. 
you make the bracha, yamod, you make the bracha. So there's no waiting between aliyahs, so people don't talk. So the rabbi lost all his money because that's where, he, that's where you make your money, Mishabarachs. He said, I'd rather you don't talk on my shoulder than, 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 than you make Mishabarachs. You think those Mishabarachs work? In Shemayim? You just went to Skaviyasha? You think that, that Mishabarach in Shemayim, you're gonna get blessed from it? When everybody's talking because you're Mishabarach? No way. No way. So better, don't get to Mishabarach. And even if you're in a, even if you're in a, even if you're in a shul that they have Mishabarachs, right? And everyone else is having Mishabarachs, I get called up many times in shul that have Mishabarach, I'm like, skip the Mishabarach. I'd rather that between Kayan and Levi, between Levi and Levi, there's nobody talking. You see, this is, the Kabbalah I read you tonight is not talking about davening. Talking in shul. Even when they're not davening. Okay, we're not on that level. Talking about davening? Forget about it. Well, come on, Middash. The Middash was destroyed. The Middash was destroyed. We gotta build it back. Right? Gotta build it back. You can't talk in shul. You can't talk in shul. People don't take it seriously. I don't know. People take the cell phone rings in shul. Everybody turns around. They want to blow your head off. It's like you have a time bomb. You can, sometimes people forget to, right? It doesn't say in Mishaburu your phone can't ring in shul. There were no phones. But it doesn't, right? But people, the people talk in shul, nobody jumps on them. That phone rings, you forget. Woo! Oh boy. Right? You stop fumbling, you're looking, push the button, and you're going crazy, right? Today by Dobbin, I was standing next to a guy. Every three minutes, his phone was vibrating. It wasn't ringing, it was vibrating. It's more annoying. I'm not sure what like. People are funny. All right, let's end off. We talked about Shabbos. I want to talk a little bit more about Shabbos. I think it's very, very important that we work on Shabbos. On the ice of Shabbos, we have to, we, not that we work on Shabbos, but we work on Shemir Shabbos, right? So it just happens to be that the Avas Chaim brings down the following. Listen to this. It says in this week's Pasha, Rav Lechem Shabbos Bahor Hazeh, Shabbos, Shabbos. Kikal Hataira Teluya Bishmiras HaShabbos. The whole Torah depends on Shmiras Shabbos. Vagamara Amaras, the Gemara says, Ilu Yisrael HaYeshemim Shabbos Rishon, had Klai Yisrael kept their first Shabbos, Lo HaYeshemim Shum Umavalashan. Nobody could have ever heard us. Where was where were we Mechal Shabbos? Allah Shabbos Rishon Chilukamayshem Akasiv and it was on the first Shabbos when they got the mon, right? And Dustin Baviram went out. So we didn't even keep the first Shabbos. But Shabbos is considered, Shabbos is considered the ice. And the whole Torah depends on Shabbos. I told you the story, I think last week, of the, in the Holocaust of, um, of, of Rivka. That, uh, that Rivka who gave up her life because the people that were writing in the court case, the guy that was writing everything that was going on was a Jew. It's a story I haven't said in a very long time. We'll end with this story. It's a beautiful story. I don't know how many of you guys have heard this because this is way back. Called the Red Light Story. It's a story about Shabbos. It's a magnificent story that I heard from a seminary girl 15 years ago, maybe more. So she told me the following story. No ridiculous story. There was a 
there was a girl, and she, I think it was Chicago, maybe Baltimore, I think it was Chicago, who lived in Chicago. She wasn't religious at all. And she went to a day school, a Sunday school, a Jewish Sunday school, with Talmud Torah. And the rule of the Talmud Torah, they were not religious. They, they, they talked about Israel and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and the rule was that the teachers who were religious, you weren't allowed to really talk about Shabbos, and you weren't allowed to definitely bring a kid home to Shabbos. They didn't want anyone becoming Shem Shabbos. They were reformed. They didn't want anyone. There. So there were Zionists. There was this one teacher in sixth grade, and there was this very little cute girl. Her name was Miriam, her Hebrew name. And she wanted to go to her for Shabbos. So the teacher invited this Miriam for Shabbos. And as the story goes, they, um, the teacher was lighting Arab Shabbos. She has her two candles and she did her thing. And the little girl said, with my candles. And the teacher said, well, I light for the whole house and you're here this Shabbos. You're included in my candles. And she said, well, my mommy doesn't like candles and I don't know if I'll ever light candles. Maybe this will be my only chance because I like candles. So of course, what's the Shiloh? So she took another two candles and they lit together. And she told the little girl, because the most Kaddish time for a woman is the Shabbos candles, because she's considered like the Kohen Gadol in the Beis Hamidosh who lights the Menorah. So she can ask for anything by the Shabbos candles if she lights them on time. And she told the little girl, you can ask for anything that you want. Right? But don't blow them out. It's not a birthday. Don't blow out the candles. So this little girl lights her candles, Miriam, and she has a very nice Shabbos. And she comes back the next day to Sunday school, and of course they find out that the teacher took her for Shabbos, and I don't know whether she got thrown out or not. I don't think she got thrown out. Whatever. Anyway. This Miriam, right, who goes to public school. Now it's time for her to go to high school. The high school was a very bad neighborhood. It was a terrible, dangerous high school. So the parents decided they're going to send Miriam right across the street with a Catholic a private Catholic high school. They didn't care. They weren't religious Jews, right? Okay, she knows she went to she went to her Sunday school. She knows about Israel. She's a Zionistic, and now she's going to get a great education, private school education, in a, in, a, in a in a Catholic school. So she goes to this Catholic school, and of course her name changes from Miriam to Mary, and she becomes Mary, and that's what they call her, Mary, and she's Mary, and she's. She says her prayers in the morning, and she says grace on her food, and she's like a really Christian little girl, but she's Jewish, and she knows she's Jewish. Anyway, she gets older, she meets a guy, Vinny, and she gets engaged to marry Vinny. She gets engaged to marry Vinny, she's very excited, totally no Judaism whatsoever, total disconnection from that teacher, whether the teacher moved or got fired, I don't know, remember, whatever, total disconnection from everything. She's getting married to Vinny on Shabbos in a church. No rabbi, not even a reform rabbi. Just a priest. So, she's on her way. So she, she gets into the, to the limo. They have the balloons and the spray paint and everything like that. And, um, the three girls are in her three best friends. I guess they're called bride, bridesmaids, bridesmaids. And they're all dressed the same, you know, color and the whole mice or whatever it is. And they're driving, it's not ridiculous, the story's a not ridiculous story. And they're driving towards the church and Mary, who is Miriam, is marrying Vinny. And they're on their way towards the church. At the same time, there is 
a Jep Shabbaton. Jep Shabbaton, everyone from all over America is in Chicago or Baltimore, I'm not sure where it was. And it's a Jep Shabbaton. And there's four girls, they come to a red light, this car, this wedding, you know, car, whatever it is. And oh, before they get to that, before they get to the, to the light, so the four girls bought her a present. They bought her a present. And they're all excited. They bought her a present. They tell her we bought a present. She said, so give it to me. No, we're not giving you the present until you're married. Once you're married, we're going to give you this present. We spent a lot of money on it. We spent a lot of time on it. Now she's all, all you know, curious, and you got to tell me. And they're like, we're not going to tell you. It comes, comes a girl for you. will tell me. You won't tell me. So they said, okay, here's the deal. You close your eyes. You close your eyes. And you don't open them until we tell you you can. We'll give it to you. She's all excited. Sure, no problem. And they they open up the the pouch, and there's a gold cross with diamonds around it. That was the present that they bought her. Not not on purpose, not to get her angry. They just they were friends, and they she didn't have a cross, so they buy her this cross. And this is the way she tells the story over. Mary, Miriam, and they 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 buy the cross, and her eyes are closed, and they take the chain and they close it behind her neck, right? And and they're holding the cross, and she's like, "Can I open up my eyes?" And they're like, nope, not until we tell you. And the girl that was holding the cross, right, because let's go. And the cross hits her body, right, because she's wearing a necklace. And when the cross hits, this is how she tells the story. When the cross hits her body, this crazy voice comes out of her soul. No! This is how she tells the story. And the no goes, this is how she says it. The no goes flying to the heavens flying through all the clouds, right up to the throne of God. And God's sitting on a throne, and this little voice coming out of the earth, screaming, No! And God's like, What's that? And the Sutton's standing there. The Prime Minister standing there, and he says, God, that's not one of yours, that's one of mine. It's one of the Jewish girls she's marrying a non-Jew, it's, it's a long story, but, you know, don't worry about this one, this one's, this one's not, this is not one of yours, this is one of mine. What's going on? Who is it? Little teeny Malach comes walking out. God, I'm the Malach of that little girl that just was screaming, her name is Miriam. The Sultan goes, there's always a little Malach. You Jews always have a little Malach. Who are you? He says, when she was a little girl, she lit Shabbos candles. I am the Malach of those candles. That's how she tells all the story. I'm the Malach of those candles. And in the midst of those candles, God, you have to give her a chance. How long did she stand by the candles? 40 seconds. We'll give her 40 seconds. A 40 second chance to do tshuva. Mida, Kenegad, Mida. 40 seconds in Kedusha, we'll give her 40 seconds. Come down to earth, she comes to the red light, the Jep kids are on the corner, the window is open, they're lost, they can't find the shul, they turn to this Goy, right, they think, she's sitting there with a cross, right, and they say, do you know where South 112 intersects with Route 41? And they're at the red light, and she goes, you look like Jewish girls. And they're like, we are. And she goes like, well, so am I. And the Jeff girl goes, that doesn't look like a mugging dove to me. She's wearing her cross. 
She goes, oh, this, I'm marrying Vinny, eh, whatever it is, light turns green. She tells the chauffeur, the guy who's driving the limo, pull over, I have to help these girls, they're lost, I know where they're going. It used to be the temple that I went to school to, it used to be reformed, now it became orthodox, they're probably going there. She goes, you know, it's very hard for me to tell you how to get there. You know what? It's not that far from here. I'll have my driver drive, jump in. They're like, no, we don't, we can't jump in. Okay, then follow. So she drives into the shul with the car on Travis. These four Jep girls are walking behind the car. And one of them, she should be gebenched in Shemayim, turns to, to Mary and says, well, if you're getting married today to Vinny, don't you want a blessing from a rabbi? Knowing that there's no orthodox rabbi that's going to give a blessing. So she goes, sure, you know what? I feel guilty that we didn't call a rabbi. She goes, sure. She says, okay. So why don't you just jump out of the car where it's, it's Saturday and I'm sure they'll give you a blessing. She goes, okay. They stop the car and all the Italian girls that are with her, like, come on, now you're doing some Jewish stuff. You, you're not Jewish. You don't practice this stuff. What are you going to the rabbi? She goes, I'm a Jew. I'm trying to get a blessing. Let me get a blessing. I'm like, well, okay. And the girl, the Jeff girl, the chutzah, New Yorker, says, but I got to ask you one favor. For respect, you gotta take that off. You can't, you can't wear that necklace in, in the synagogue. On Shabbos, for sure not. She goes, oh no, no, I'm a very respectful, no problem. She takes it off, and she puts it on the, on the bench, and she tells the girls, I'll be right back. She comes into shul with these Jep girls. They're ready very late. They're actually davening at the end, in Kilokano. And they have, like outside of New York, they have a, qu- a bunch of kids that are singing, right? and then they sing Aleinu, and then they sing Anam's Miras. That's when she walks into the, to the Ezra's Nashim. Now all these women out of town, they go to Shul Shabbos. So the Shul is full. In walks this girl in a wedding dress, definitely not sneistic, right? And the Rebbitson is sitting there, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this is about Shuva. Who just took this Shabbos Kala thing a little bit too far? You know what I'm saying? Like, but you know, you, when you, when people are, are like Machzibetshuva, you can't really, you don't want to insult them. So it's like, so she just put a scarf around her shoulders, whatever it is, nice dress, you know. And she says, "Where's the rabbi?" He says, "We sit up here. He's downstairs, but we're we're finished in five minutes, six minutes." And she says, "I need a blessing." So she says, okay, we'll give you a blessing. So she sits there mesmerized. But all these little kids singing, and Kelokainu, and then Aleinu, and Adam's mirrors just blows away. She never was in a show in her life. She never heard davening in her life. The first davening she ever heard, she was, she said, I was, she was mesmerized, right? They finish davening, she comes downstairs, they're beeping like crazy, they're beeping. She's like, hold on, hold on. And Rabbi says, hi, what's your name? She goes, my name is Mary. Well, I was named Miriam. He says, and what's going on? I'm, I'm going to marry Vinny. He says, did you ever go to yeshiva? Did you ever, did you ever come pray in a synagogue? She goes, no, it was really heavenly. It was really beautiful. It was like angelic. Uh, he says, well, maybe you should learn a little bit about your Judaism before you jump into this marriage. I mean, you need to learn a little bit about who we are and you know, what we stand for. And, you know, they're not, they don't have the same rules and the same walls as we have. And she's wavering. And they're beeping and she's wavering. And then they start screaming like, this is crazy, we have to wait for. She says, you know what, I'm going to do this. And she goes to the car, and there was one of her friends was like a little bit with her, Vinny was a little bit going on there. She goes, listen, the wedding's set, that's all paid for, you marry Vinny. And they 
starts cursing her and calling her all names and you Jews and you this and she saw what, what everything was really about and they sh- they just sped off and there she is standing there in a wedding dress on a Shabbos with a rabbi and a rabbi who say come to our house and have a Shabbos meal and they sent her to Nevei in Eretz Yisrael and she goes to Nevei and she becomes religious and they read her a shidduch some guy that was also totally not religious and the two of them end up living in Mer Sha'arim, and he becomes a of our Lachasid, that's the white yarmulkes with the payas. And these two girls, the girl that told me the story, they were in um, seminary, and the seminary was sending out girls to see how my daughter also went to them, you go to Chasidim, you go to Sfaradim, poor people, rich people. So they were sent to this of our family, and the girl that was teaching my school that told me the story, she said, I, I came into the house, it was a small little house, and the, the, the husband already was, was leaving, it was like way before Shabbos, he was leaving already, and this lady greets us, and she says, put our stuff there, and then when she comes down to light, she's wearing a wedding gown. And we're like, freaking out. Like, is this what Rav Arulach see them do? They don't know, right? Maybe, maybe they all wedding gowns because Shabbos Kala, Lechadayi, Likras Kala, but they Shabbos Likabla. You know, who know? We don't know Minhagim. So they're sitting there like, and they said that she, she had a list of names that it took her 45 minutes to read. Had Lucas Neros was 45 minutes. She do him sick people. Like when a Kala goes to under the Chuppah, and she had two little, two little boys and three little girls, whatever, all these little kids running around. She stood there, she said, she looked like a malach. In her wedding dress for 45 minutes, when she finished, she said, I know. This is not a minig of Rav Aral And she told them the whole story. And of course, she was Miriam or whatever it was. 40 seconds. A red light, go outside, time it. She got 40 seconds to change her whole life. 40 seconds she got, because she spent 40 seconds at Shabbos candles. Hashem said, we have to give her 40 seconds. And what I tell everyone is that every single person in this room and every single person watching this year, you don't know how many red lights you've had in your life. Well, you stopped and Hashem gave you a chance to turn your whole life around. And then the light turned green and you just continued doing your stuff. And when a person comes up after 120 years, Hashem says, red light, red light, red light, red light, red light. I stopped you. You got this thought. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to go to Minyan. I'm going to learn. I'm going to stop talking about Davin. Whatever it is. I'm going to have Shmir say Naim. And then he's like, eh. Can't do it. Forget it. How many people have red lights? A lot more than 40 seconds. It's what you do at the red lights. And that's the godless of the story. It's not a story where some rabbi and founder and she stopped at a red light. Hashem put the four girls there. They asked her how to get somewhere. Instead of telling them, go here, go there, go there, she made a decision to show, to take them to shul. One mitzvah, Guerrero's mitzvah, she did a chesed. She, she lit candles by herself for 40 seconds. Then she did a chesed that led to this, that led to this, that led to that. Of Allah Hasidim, who knows where they are today? Who knows, who knows, who knows? So I said this story, I'm not going to say where, in a little bit more of a modern community. When I finished saying the story, five women got up and they came up to me and said, Brother Wallstein, you made up the story. It's not a true story. I was like, if I would make up a story, I would tell you it's a marshal. 
So I couldn't even make up such a story. A girl in a gown. It's not, it's not my thing. I'm like, it's not like one of my stories. My story is about a king and a prince and a princess and, you know, and a hockey game and the Yankees. It's not, it's not my, I don't think in those realms. I'm like, the girl, I'll get, I'll find her, the girl that told me the story. They're like, no, we know it's a lie. I'm like, how do you know it's a lie? They're like, listen to me, I lost. There is no way that she fit into that wedding gown. You said there were like three boys and three girls. There's no way after having six pregnancies that she could fit into the same gown. I was like, that's what you're thinking about? That's what you're thinking about? Then another lady said, yeah. And what about the sneers? I mean, come on. How could she wear the same gown? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't sneers. And now she, the whole story's not true. And I'm like, I didn't ask. I am sure if it makes you any happier. For sure they closed it up and they put sleeves on it. That's for sure. I said, it makes you much happier that originally it was a size 2 and now it was a size 20. That makes you happy, makes the story happy. I mean, I'll say it that way. But could you understand that you could hear a story, a story with, with such chizuk and the Yitzhahara has it in your head? You find this little point, right? I'm not talking about dress sizes. When the girl said love to me, I was not interested in what her dress size was after five kids. Like, what does that have to do with anything? The main focus of the story is that everybody has those 40 seconds. And I want to tell you that Tishabov is those 40 seconds. Okay, on Tishabov is those 40 seconds. Because you, you, you're separated from five physical things. You can't eat, you can't drink, you can't smear, you can't wear shoes, you can't be with your wife. Right? Five physical things that a person enjoys, and you're totally separated, and you're sitting on the floor. It's like, stop, because you can't go to work till Chatzot for sure. It's like every single year, stop. Think about the base of Migdash. Think about the Shekhinah. It's not here anymore. Hashem is in pain. Think about all the kids that are off the derech. Think about all the pain. There would be no kids off the derech if there's a base of Migdash. There would be no cancer. There was a base Amidash. There would be no shit of crisis. There was a base Amidash. There would be nobody that has no children. There was a base Amidash. The ten miracles that happened in the base Amidash, what did it say in Pekyavos? Nobody ever said in Yerushalayim, I'm uncomfortable. The smoke, the room, there was no smoke. The, the room, there was never a snake. There would, there, there, everything would be perfect. So that's what we need to sit. So Tishwab is a huge red light. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as everyone else is. We finished my riv, that orange juice, the cake, within 40 minutes of the end of Tishabov, you don't even remember it. And this year, I think you can take a shower, because it's the 10th, right? You shower, you get your deodorant on, you're like, it's time, it's Shabbos let's go! Party time! There's more partying on Shabbos then there is a veil on Tisha above. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So you have this red light, and the minute it turns green, it's like the whole thing's over. Steak, Franks, eat, you know, party. It's a red light. It's time to think about, you know, when Tisha above's over, we still don't have the base of Mignosh. What changed? I always say, Tisha above is much worse than Yom Kippur. When Yom Kippur's over, you're you're forgiven. So you suffered a whole Yom Kippur, and you fasted, and you're thirsty, and you're hungry, right? In fact, and you did this whole Yom Kippur. You're coming out clean, right? The days between Yom Kippur and, 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 and circus. You're coming out clean. Tishabov, we come out of Tishabov that night, right? We eat and we drink. We have a basic English. Cancer's gone. Shidduchim problems are gone. Paras is gone. 
Shalom Bayes is gone? Anything change? What? Yeah, I still have that list. I'm just saying. Did anything change? So you suffer a whole tissue world, nothing changed. She's still not here. So, t- at least in Kippur, you got something from it. You're forgiven, you're clean, you worked it. What do you have from Tisha And the answer is, you have to come out of it with something. You have to come out of the, that day, 26 hour day of, of, of suffering. You gotta come out with feeling the pain. Changing the rest of your year. Maybe not being such a let's, like we learned tonight. Don't be such a clown. A little bit more serious. You know, maybe a list of sick people that you never had in your in your sitter. Don't don't waste that red light. That's why I'm telling you the red light story. Don't waste it. It's not 40 seconds, it's 26 hours. Don't waste it. Come out of it and come out of the ashes. What is that bird that comes out of the ashes? The phoenix. Come out. Right, come out of the ashes, create something. And then next year you won't have to be in the ashes anymore. Well, my bracha to everyone is that we should talk about, again, we should do something that Tishavov should become a yantav. This year Tishavov is a Shabbos. So more than a yantav. Shabbos is amazing. The reason that you fat, the reason that you what Hashem is saying, and, and I just I just told this to someone today. What Hashem is saying, Tishavov comes out on Shabbos, Hashem is saying the destruction of my base on Megdash, the terrible destruction of my base on Megdash, on Shabbos, no pain. Okay, you drink wine, you eat meat. Shabbos is so precious, so happy, so beautiful that Hashem says, I, you threw me out of my house. I got thrown out of my house. My house was burnt down twice. I lost so many of my children. On that day that it happened, eat meat and drink wine and sing Zmiros. That's the holiness of Shabbos. So the question is, what about Yom Kippur? Why on Yom Kippur do you have to fast? Right? If Shabbos is so holy, why do you have to fast on Yom Kippur? And the answer is, because what is Yom Kippur called? Shabbos Shabbosan. Yom Kippur is even more than Shabbos. Yom Kippur is Shabbos Shabbosan. So therefore it has a right to push one Shabbos away. Because it's a double Shabbos. And many people say, we know that it says, if you keep two Shabbosan in a row, the Mashiach will come. So if you keep Yom Kippur, which is considered, if Kleisel would keep, everyone would keep Yom Kippur, which we're very close to, because even the non-firm keep Yom Kippur, pretty much. If everybody would keep one Yom Kippur, since it's a Shabbos Shabbosan, it's considered as two Shabbosim, the Mashiach would come. We should all be excited to see Mashiach from here, Yemenu, Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.